All right, good morning, y'all. Welcome to Redemption. If you're new here, so glad that you've decided to join us. Uh, if I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you. I'll be hanging out over at Next Steps afterwards. Uh, thanks for joining us today. My name is Andrew. I get the pleasure of serving as one of our elders and lead pastor here. Uh, excited that you're here to worship with us today. We have a pretty meaty topic that we're talking about. It's probably one of those I should have handed off to Jake or Jay or one of our el other elders, but uh, I'm going to tackle it today. Uh, we're in week seven of this 12-week uh, series called Knowing God's Truth. Uh, we're work working through a book of the same name by a guy named John Nielsen. I'll quote from him uh, in that book uh, a couple times this morning. Uh, it is a study in uh, systematic theology. It's an introduction to systematic theology, uh, and we want theology to be accessible and understandable and impactful. Theology is simply the study of God. It literally means words about God, and it's not just for pastors. It's not just for professors, it's not just for academics, it's for everyone. Uh, in fact, it is for theologians, and everyone is a theologian. Everyone has thoughts uh, or words about God, and we believe that theology impacts everything. And in fact, it impacts your, uh, your head, your heart, and your hands, how, how you, what you think, how you feel, how you act and behave. And so it's important that we think about and we talk about uh, deeply theology. Uh, so that's what we're doing. Systematic theology is simply a way that we take all the teachings that kind of occur throughout the Bible and we're organizing or systematizing those topics into categories or topics. Uh, and so that's what we've been doing for the last six weeks. Uh, we've gone through uh, these topics. Uh, what is theology? What is scripture? Who is God? What is man? What is sin? And last week we talked about uh, who is Jesus Christ? This morning, we're going to tackle again another big one. What is salvation? What is salvation? That's the question that we're attempting to answer this morning. And, and like all of these uh, topics, uh, there's no way that we could sufficiently cover all that the Bible says about it in, in one little sermon, but we're giving it a shot, all right? It's an introduction to all of these things. So what is salvation? So let me give you a little, little backstory to my life, and some of you heard this story multiple times, but uh, I, didn't, I have no church background growing up, didn't grow up going to church, maybe once in a while would attend Christmas or Easter service with my family and my, my grandparents, um, but really no understanding of who Jesus uh, is, uh, any understanding of the teachings of the Bible, uh, until late in high school. Uh, my junior year of high school, I had a friend at high school who uh, began to invite me to hang out with his family and with his church youth group, and before I ever stepped foot into his church, uh, I went to a youth camp, a summer youth camp. Uh, summer, July of 1992, way back in the day, right? And so for the first time during that week of camp, I heard uh, some of these truths that we've talked about through the series. I heard about who Jesus uh, is. I heard about the Trinity, things that like were blowing my mind that I've never heard before. Uh, and over the course of that week, um, I, uh, I gave my life to Jesus, and uh, as best I knew how. I didn't fully understand all of it, um, but uh, I, you know, at the end of one of the services, uh, a friend of mine uh, in this youth group said, hey, do you, uh, you want to do what they just talked about, uh, about putting your faith in Jesus? And all I knew was, man, the way that I'm living my life isn't working. I need God in my life. And so I said, yeah, Absolutely. So he said, okay, well, let's, let's go to the front and, and pray. And I said, what? <laughs> we're, doing, we're going where? Where now? Uh, and so he took me forward, but he walked me through the scriptures. Uh, I prayed to put my faith in Christ. And immediately um, after the service ended, I had multiple teenagers who kind of rushed up to me from our youth group. Uh, and they were like, hey, congrats, congrats, congratulations. We're so excited for you. We're so happy for you. Uh, and I was like, 
did I just win something? Like, what just, what have I done? What have I done? What have I committed myself to? But really what they were saying is, uh, they, they use this phrase and this term that uh, you may be familiar with if you've been in church for a while. Have, have any of you all heard the phrase or the term saved? Give me a show of hands if you've heard that term. Okay, you don't even have to be church to have heard that. Uh, it's a Christian term. Uh, and, and they begin to say, you know, hey, congrats on, on getting saved. And I had zero idea what that really meant to be saved. Uh, so, you know, Fast forward to present day, and here I am, a preacher, and uh, you know, regularly in the Bible, I understand all these things, but uh, I generally tend to or try to avoid what I call, maybe you've heard this term, Christianese. Y'all ever heard that term? It's kind of like Chinese, Japanese, Portuguese, Christianese, right? Only Christians. Are y'all awake? Nobody's... <laughs> That's supposed to be funny. It was stupid, but it's supposed to be... So, only Christians understand this kind of language, right? There's a lot of words or vocabulary that fit into, like, Christianese that somebody that is a non-Christian uh, would, would say, I need a translator. What does that even mean, right? And this was one of those terms that uh, I didn't understand. Congrats on being saved. What does that mean? What does that actually mean? Now, I try to avoid Christianese, but as you know, uh, I, I do like to use biblical uh, and theological terminology. I just think it, it requires explanation, right, and, and defining. And so even this word save, like, I, I confess this, I don't use it very often, and I ought to, because it is a biblical term. It is a biblical word. However, it does require explanation, Right? It does require defining. And so let me try to give us, uh, from the start, just a quick kind of definition of, of salvation. What does it mean to be saved? Well, in a general sense, we understand salvation is deliverance from uh, danger or, or trouble. Right, to, to save someone is to rescue or protect them. That is a general idea of salvation. Uh, we we if you're familiar with any other religions, uh, most religions have some form of salvation or nirvana or something, um, but not all religions are the same, and not all, they, they don't lead to the same destination. And so I want to make a clarification. We're talking about biblical Christianity, what we would define as biblical salvation, and, and here's, here's part of how I would define it. Biblical salvation is a deliverance from God's wrath. Biblical salvation is a deliverance from God's wrath. So a couple weeks ago, uh, Jake was, was talking through the question, what is sin? And we talked about the, the fundamental problem for human beings is, is sin. Sin is anything and everything that displeases God. It misses the mark of, of his holiness. It falls short of his holiness. Uh, that is sin. And we are all by nature and by choice sinners. We sin every single day in, in very deliberate outward ways and very inward uh, private ways, right? We are sinners. And so this is our fundamental problem. It, it separates us from God. It ultimately leads to death, both physical and, and uh, eternal death. And so this is our, our problem. So we need salvation. We need to be delivered from the wrath, the judgment of God that will come upon uh, sin because God is a just, righteous God. And so this is, this is one of the ways that we can talk about salvation. It's to be saved from the wrath of God. Now, I want to push a little further on this because I think sometimes this is kind of where we stop when it comes to defining what salvation is. So, for example, uh, yesterday my family and I and some of our friends that are in town, we went down to uh, downtown Columbia to Soda City Market, which we had never gone to. It was pretty cool. Uh, any of y'all ever been there before? Uh, so there is on one of the corners... 
uh, like you would expect almost in any public gathering, uh, a street preacher. Uh, I won't speak a lot to this. I may throw in some of my thoughts in my weekly word uh, tomorrow if y'all are subscribed to that. Um, I'm not a huge, personally, a huge fan of, of street preaching um, because I think, uh, I think most people do what I did, even as a pastor and a Christian. You know what I did? I totally tuned it out. I didn't even hear it. Uh, and so I can't attest to what this, this gentleman said. It, I'm sure it was all good. It was from the Bible. Um, but here's, I think, the interpretation most people get from hearing a street preacher with really only hearing a word. Uh, it's, you're a sinner. You're going to be judged uh, by God, and you're going to go to hell unless you turn and repent. Now, is all of that true? 100% it is true. But I think what happens is all people hear is, is that message, that you can be delivered from the wrath of God by putting your faith in Jesus. 100% true. But I think I want to push further because I believe it's more than just uh, an escape hatch from our sin and the consequences of our sin. I'll say it this way. I believe that biblical salvation is a rescue that brings us into relationship with God. Uh, it's not just a deliverance from God's wrath. It's not just a get-out-of-hell-free card. It is a rescue that brings us into a relationship with God. And I think that, to me, is as, as important as this deliverance from wrath. It is that we get to have a relationship with the God of the universe who loves us and created us. And so salvation is a way out of wrath, but more than that, it's a way into relationship with God. With God, And so to receive salvation is to be saved from our sin. When we say, hey, I, I have been saved, that means I put my faith in Jesus, I'm, I'm forgiven, I'm freed uh, from the consequences of, of my sin. So this morning, as we ask this big question, what is salvation? Uh, this is a big question, and, and I'm hoping that y'all will kind of dig in with me here. There's some deep stuff we'll, we'll talk about this morning, but we could really restate this question, what is salvation? We could say it this way, how can I be saved? How can I be saved? And, and that is a biblical question. It's a question we see in uh, the New Testament. And I would, I would say this, that this is the most important question that you will ever be faced with in your life. How can I be saved? How can I have a relationship with God? And so I want to invite you all as we start to turn to Acts chapter 4. We're going to read verses 10 through 12. Uh, by the way, if you uh, don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the seat in front of you. Uh, there's a page number on the screen, lower right-hand corner, page 1117. If you do not have a copy of the scriptures uh, yourself, we would invite you to, to, to take that. Uh, take it home. Let that be our gift to you. We would love for you to walk home with a copy of God's Word in your hand. Uh, I invite you all to stand with me. We're going to read these few verses together. Acts chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. We believe... Uh, as Jake said uh, a little bit ago, that this is God's word, the very words of God. It is truth and it is life. And so we read this together uh, to see who God is. He reveals himself to us through his word. Acts chapter 4, Peter is preaching an incredible message. He kind of comes to the, the climax of this message. And he says in verse number 10, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, 
whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is God's word. Amen. And so, God, thank you so much for the truth of your word. Thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. Thank you that you have revealed to us a way of salvation. God, that you have made possible a way for us to be delivered from uh, the wrath of, of God and from the, the consequences of, of our sin, the separation from, from you. God, thank you that you have made a way through Christ for us to be saved. Lord, thank you for uh, all the things that we're going to see this morning in your word. I pray that you would um, give us uh, eyes to see and ears to hear, hearts to understand and, and receive what you have said to us. And God, whatever it is that you want to um, impress upon our hearts today, God, we, we give this time to you. We believe that you are the one who speaks through your word and through the foolishness of preaching. And so, God, I pray that you would use... Uh, even the things that we see today, even the things that we say and the, the scriptures that we look at, God, would you impart to us uh, wisdom from on high? We need you. Uh, God, we declare that with our lips. And God, that is the, the truth. That is from uh, our hearts. God, we need you to speak to us. And so, God, would you reveal yourself to us through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And why don't you all go ahead and have a seat. What is salvation? And We've been talking about this framework through this series, Head, Heart, and Hands. Again, we don't want this to be a purely uh, academic uh, exercise, uh, although there is a lot that we need to know. And so most of this morning, we'll be talking about uh, the things we need to know from Scripture. Uh, but we'll also talk about, briefly, heart and hands. Uh, how should this impact our hearts and how should it be lived out in our lives? So let's start with the head. What are the things that we need to, to know? And for starters, I want to start uh, where John Nielsen in his book, Knowing God's Truth, uh, begins, and that is talking about salvation and the Old Testament. I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but I think this is kind of important to state from the start, uh, as he does in his book. Uh, in John 5.39, Jesus uh, says that, that all the scriptures point to him. He says, all the scriptures bear witness about me. All the scriptures, not just the New Testament, but Old Testament, New Testament, all of it. And so the gospel is the central message of, of the Bible. The death, burial, resurrection of Jesus is the central message of the Bible. This is why, as a church, you hear us say all the time, it's all about the gospel. The gospel is central uh, in, the, in the scriptures, in the story of God, and so it ought to be central in our church and in our lives. It's it's all pointing to Jesus in the gospel. And so from beginning to end, Jesus is, is the way of, of salvation. From beginning to end, not just from when he appeared in the flesh, but from beginning to end. I want to go back to Acts chapter 4, verse 12 that we just read. Peter declares this, There is salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He doesn't say there's there's salvation and, and no one else from the time that Jesus came until now. No, he says this, this has to do with all time. There's salvation and no one else other than Jesus. And so, so salvation is this. All believers throughout all time are saved in the same way, by faith in Christ. And you say, well, wait, so, 
So I, I get it. We've been alive since the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. So we put our faith in Christ. But what about those Old Testament saints that we, you know, we sang about this morning, about David and, 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 and Jake, Jacob and Joseph and all these Old Testament saints? How did they come to, how did they, how were they saved from their sins? Well, Again, there's no other name other than, than Jesus by which we are saved. Uh, I want to read you this quote from the book, John Nielsen. He says this, It is important to remember that Old Testament believers, such as Abraham and Moses and, and David, they were saved in exactly the same way that Christians are saved today. Here it is. This is important. They looked ahead to God's provision of mercy through the Messiah, the promised one. We look back to the glorious cross of Jesus and have the privilege of knowing him by name. Every believer in every age has been saved by faith as God has shown grace to those who trust in Christ alone for salvation. Uh, so are you tracking with what he's saying there? So there, there was a point in time where Jesus came, right? He was born, lived a perfectly sinless life, offered himself as a substitute for our sin on the cross, died, was buried, rose again, right? So at this point in time, we can look back to Jesus and what he has done for our salvation, what he has done through the death, burial, and resurrection, uh, through his death, burial, and resurrection. So we look backwards, but those Old Testament saints, right before Jesus came on the scene, they were looking ahead. They were looking forward to God's provision of grace for their salvation. And so though they didn't know the Messiah by name at that point, they were trusting in the, God's provision of grace. You understand that? So Old Testament, they were looking ahead to the Savior. For us and those in the New Testament times, we look back to Christ. But all believers through all time are saved in the exact same way. It's by faith in Christ. All right, so that's salvation in the Old Testament. But I want to move on. The bulk of our time is going to be spent in this next section, which, uh, it, again, in the book, he goes through this. And, and I think if you're reading through the book with us, I think this is uh, one of the best chapters uh, so far in this book is uh, this chapter on what is uh, a salvation. Uh, so we're going to talk through the order of salvation. All right, there's five things we're going to work through. These first couple we're going to spend a little bit more time on. We'll kind of fly through those last three because um, we've talked about those things things before, but, uh, but, but I want to start with, so it goes through election, regeneration, justification, sanctification, glorification, all right? So a lot of shuns there, and we're going to work through all five of these over the next little bit. So let's start with election, election. So uh, I want to say from the start that this teaching, I believe, on election is perhaps, uh, I would say, is the most controversial topic uh, in Christian teaching, all right? So, so let me say from the start, uh, so we covered some of this ground before. Romans chapter 8, we covered this in our fall series uh, on life in the Spirit, uh, and so I have a link to that in our sermon, about, uh, digital bulletin and sermon notes, if you want to go back and review that or maybe listen to it for the first time. We went through Romans 8, verse 28 uh, and 29, uh, so we kind of covered some of this ground, but I just want to say it from the start, um, that this is, I said it, you know, several months ago, this may be a subject that makes you squirm a little bit, uh, and that's okay. I think it's important for us to wrestle with deep things. Things, uh, to, to try to understand things. I will personally testify that I wrestled with these things for many, many years. Uh, 
right? And so if you struggle with this, if you don't fully agree with this, uh, that is perfectly okay. I don't think this impacts your ability to be saved from your sin, right? But uh, I think it's important that we consider God's working in this, this whole process of, of salvation. We would, we would refer to this as his, his sequential process of, of bringing us to, to faith, of our salvation, right? So election. Uh, so let's talk about this. Uh, before I define it, uh, I want to start by saying this. The key point in all of this is that salvation begins with God, Salvation begins with God. He is the one who initiates it. In other words, we are not the ones, and even Romans talks about that no one seeks after God. It's not our natural inclination to pursue God. He is the one who, who initiates and draws us to himself. So even if you don't agree with the things that we're going to talk about this morning fully, uh, I think we can all agree on this, that it begins with God. And Jesus himself said in John 6, verse 44, he says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one can come to me, Christ says, unless the Father draws him. So, the initiator of this work, the one who opens us up to, to God and his, his saving grace is God himself. He must draw us to himself. So this is, this is kind of the arena we're going to talk about with, with election. So let me talk about two terms, the term predestination and election. These are some heavyweight words that have made believers stumble uh, throughout the generations, right? And so I just want to take a couple moments to try to unpack these really briefly. These two terms are usually uh, considered synonyms or kind of used interchangeably. Uh, there is a slight distinction between the two, so let me kind of uh, try to explain that. Uh, predestination is a broader term that means that God has sovereignly, uh, you know, pre, which means ahead of time, he's determined some things. God has uh, before time chosen uh, for certain things to happen. So he sovereignly decided that something ahead of time would take place. Uh, so that's broad. Um, election is more specific. Election refers to God sovereignly choosing to save some people before the foundation of the world. So in other words, predestination could be anything, events and so forth. Election has to do with who has God uh, chosen to be saved before time, before even the beginning of time. So election is kind of a subset of, of predestination. It's specific. All right. So election, God sovereignly chooses to save some people, to place them in Christ before the foundation of, of the world. Those who he, whom he has chosen to be saved uh, are called the elect, the elect, all right? And so uh, these are not uh, like one-off verses or terms that we see in the scriptures. We kind of see them really littered throughout uh, the New Testament specifically, but also th really throughout the scriptures. Uh, so the term predestination or some form of predestined, we see uh, at least five times in the New Testament. Uh, the term or a form of the term elect or election, we see 18 times in the New Testament. So 23 times, at least in the New Testament, we're seeing these terms laid out. So this isn't a throwaway subject. Um, it's not a one-off, not some you know, obscure verse uh, somewhere in, in the Bible. No, this is kind of throughout the scriptures, this idea of election uh, and predestination. So let me read uh, for you Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4, and then also verse 11. 
Paul here says this, and again, he's writing this book to believers uh, in, in Ephesus. And so he says this to them, even as he, speaking of God, chose us in him, speaking of in Christ, God chose us to be in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So he's chosen us, he's speaking to believers, to be in Christ before the foundation of the world. Drop down to verse 11. He goes on here to say, In him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things. How does he work all things? According to the counsel of his Will. So this is what he determines, what he chooses. It is according to his good pleasure and delight to save people. And he, he predestines or calls them before the beginning of, of time. This is what election is all about. So there is a major criticism or a major uh, objection to this. And some of you may be, you're feeling it right now. There's this pushback. And the response would be, the objection would be, oh man, that's not fair right? It's not fair. It's not fair. God would choose some and not others. There's nothing about that's, that that's fair. And, you know, a couple weeks ago, as we were talking about sin, uh, Jake spoke on the subject of, of fairness. And so if, if what we wanted was, was for things to be fair and for God to be fair, you know what that would lead to? That means that every single one of us would go to hell and spend all of eternity separated from God. That would be fair. That would be right. And that would be just for God to condemn us to that fate because of our sin against him. That would be fair. And so praise the Lord that he has not been fair. He has chosen to show grace and mercy to some. Let me read you this quote from, uh, um, let me go to R.C. Sproul. Um, he says this, I think this is so important. Everything outside the category of, of justice is, is non-justice. Both injustice and mercy fall outside the category of justice, yet injustice is evil while mercy is not. So I want to pause there for a second because this is a statement that I read and it just kind of, like I had to sit in this for a minute, it blew my mind. So uh, the category of justice, anything that falls outside of justice is is, is non-justice. So on one side you have injustice, which would be, for example, uh, if someone were to murder someone and not face the consequences of that. We would say that's injustice, right? That's, that's evil, that's wrong. And so you have injustice on one hand, which is evil and, and wrong, and yet on the other hand you have mercy, which is non-justice, but it's, it's not evil. It's not wrong. It's God extending something to us that, that we would not deserve. So he goes on here and he says this, When God considered a race of depraved, fallen human beings living in rebellion against him, he decreed that he would give mercy to some, injustice to others. Esau received justice. Jacob received grace. Neither received injustice. Check this out. He says, God never punishes innocent people, but he does redeem guilty people. He does not redeem them all, and he is under no obligation to redeem any. The amazing thing is that he redeems some. 
That is the amazing grace of God that he would choose to redeem some. Listen, we have to remember God's character, that God is completely righteous. He is completely just and he is 100% righteous and just in all that he does. And so while it may not seem fair or just to us, he is the judge who extends mercy and grace on whom he will extend mercy and grace. In fact, in Exodus 33, Moses makes this request of God. He says, God, would you please show me your glory? And God responds with this. He says, I will make all of my goodness pass before you. And if you remember, this is when he, he kind of hides them in a cleft of the rock. He says, man, you can't, you can't see me or look upon me and live because of my holiness. And so he says, hey, I'll, I'll pass before you and, and all of my goodness will pass before you and I'll proclaim before you my name, the Lord, Yahweh. We already sung it this morning. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. God says, man, I'm, I will show grace and mercy to some, even though no one deserves it. I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And so here is, is, is what I believe is that salvation begins with God, but at the same time, it doesn't remove human responsibility, right? So human responsibility. So we might struggle with election and say, well, okay, so if God chose who would be saved, and it's only some and not all, um, so does that mean he just created me as, a, as like a little robot? And so I'm just going to go through the motions and I'm going to do whatever he decided I was going to do. No, no. The Bible never speaks in that kind of way. The Bible never removes human responsibility. Uh, let me read you this quote from, again, the book. John Nielsen says this. Scripture affirms that human beings <clears throat> make real choices as rational beings with real wills and full responsibility for their actions and for their rejection or acceptance of God's word. The Bible never downplays human responsibility. So here is what I believe that the scriptures teach. And again, you may not fully agree. You may wrestle with this and this is okay. But here is what I see in the Bible. I believe the Bible clearly teaches sovereign election that God chooses to save people but I believe that Bible also clearly teaches human responsibility, that we are responsible for the choices that we, we make, that he calls all to repentance and faith. And so this is very similar to what we talked about last week when we tried to answer the question, who is Jesus Christ, right? The dual nature of Jesus, that he's fully God and fully human, like we can't understand that. It's hard to wrestle with. That is a, a tension that, just like this, this is a tension that, cannot and should not be resolved. It's a tension that we kind of have to live in, that there is some mystery to the things of God that we are on this side of eternity never going to fully wrap our minds around, right? That God is sovereign, that he chooses to save some, but that we are at the very same time, and how this divinely works together, like sovereign election, human responsibility, I don't fully understand, and I don't claim to. I think there's mystery there, and I think that's okay to sit in the tension of that to say, well, this all was God's initiative. He does the work, and yet he calls me to be responsible for my choices and my action. And so a question you might ask in this is, well, how do I know if I'm part of the elect? Right? Well, here's, here's my simple uh, answer for you. If you have put your faith in Jesus, 
congratulations, you're part of the elect, right? If God has, has, has drawn you to himself, revealed uh, himself to you so that you have, your heart has softened and that you have put your faith in him, then you are part of the elect. And so when I preach every single week, I preach, I don't preach looking out going, okay, this visitor may be elect, maybe not. And I, I don't, I preach as if every single person in the room who is created in the image of God is someone who has possibly been chosen by God before the foundation of the world to be in Christ, to know him. Because I don't know, uh, none of us know, and, and God brings us to repentance and faith. It is a work that he does. And so we're all called, listen, so some, of you, some people might say, well, okay, well, so why should I preach the gospel? Hey, listen, we're all, we're all called to humbly preach the gospel to every single human being. We don't have the luxury of saying, well, this person may not be part of the elect or not. God calls us to humbly preach the gospel to every single human being, to invite every single human uh, to receive the grace of God. And every single human being is called to humble themselves before God in repentance and in faith. And so election, this is, this is a, a heavyweight one, right? This is a big one, and it's okay to wrestle with. But it starts with election. It moves to the second one, which is regeneration. Now, we won't spend nearly as much time in this one, but, and this one is, thankfully, in some ways, less controversial, um, but some would still have some objections to some of the teaching around regeneration. So let me, let me talk about what, what regeneration is. Regeneration refers to uh, rebirth or to be born again is a, a term we see in the Bible. Regeneration is the miraculous work of God making a person come to life spiritually. All right, if you think of in my mind, I think of a generator, right? That you, you bring something to life. It brings energy. It's, so regeneration is bringing a dead soul to life. This is what regeneration is. It's the miraculous work of God that makes a person come to life spiritually. It is God giving us the ability to, uh, to repent of our sins and to put our faith in Christ. So you might see that definition. You may say, well, who would object to that, that God brings us to life? Well, I don't, think, uh, I don't think most Christians would disagree that God is the one who brings people to life. Uh, I think there might be disagreement about the timing of when God does this. All right. So, so some might say, and we might in our thinking say, well, once we believe, Right? And I've probably been guilty of, of, of saying it in such a way that, you know, hey, once you believe, then you, then you receive life. Well, theologically, biblically, if we look at this through the lens of Scripture, uh, regeneration happens uh, not when we believe. It is the thing that happens prior to our belief that enables us to believe. Okay, so... Let, let me go to Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, I just want you to see what Ephesians chapter 2 says. Uh, and we saw this, um, uh, I think we saw this, talked about this a little bit last week. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 1, um, it says this. Paul says, and you were, what's that word? Dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which, which you once walked. Uh, if you were here last week, you heard me make a reference to uh, an old movie, uh, The Princess Bride. You know, the scene where Wesley is declared mostly dead, 
Not all dead. That's a, there's a big difference, remember, he says. Uh, it's the same idea when it comes to us spiritually. We talked about this last week, that Christ, when he went in the grave, he was fully dead. He wasn't, he wasn't mostly dead. He didn't need to be resur- uh, resuscitated. He needed to be resurrected. So what Paul teaches us in, in Ephesians 2 is that we are dead in our sins. What do dead people do? Nothing, right? Nothing. Dead people do nothing. Someone who is dead cannot make themselves come to life. Just as a, a physical uh, boy or girl can't you know, bring themselves to life out of nothing. No, no, no. They have to be brought to life. This is the same thing spiritually. We are dead in our trespasses and sin. He goes on in verses 4 and 5. He says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So regeneration happens before a person repents and believes. And almost, I mean, we could, we could say this is kind of semantics, like believe first or not, but like this is something that God does, that he enables us to believe and we put our faith in Christ and, and, and we are at this point saved. All right, so regeneration. So we talk about election, God calling or choosing us before the foundation of the world. Uh, regeneration is this, this moment of, of God bringing us to life so that we can repent and believe. Uh, number three, we won't talk about this a lot because this is a subject we've talked about uh, often before, justification. Justification. Uh, justification is a legal term that means declared righteous, Declared righteous. So justification means we are innocent, forgiven, made right with God because or based on the finished work of Christ. So God regenerates us. We put our faith in Christ. And in that moment when we put our faith in Christ, we are justified. We are declared righteous, forgiven. We are made right with God. It is something that we just saw. It is received by faith. It is not by any works that we do, right? We do not earn it. We do not deserve it. We don't trust in ourselves or anything that we do to try to make us right with God, only in what Christ has done. And so I want you all to see Romans chapter four, verse number five. Paul says this, to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So his righteousness doesn't come to those who work for it, who work for his approval or his acceptance. No, it comes to the one who does what? Believes, right? The one who, not the one who works, but the one who believes in him who justifies us. He is the one who declares us righteous apart from our good works and our good deeds. It is received by faith. And so listen, If God has at some point in your life moved in your heart, he has drawn you to himself, he has drawn you to a place where you have turned, much like I did back when I was 17 years old, when I turned from my sin and turned towards Christ. If there's ever been a point in your life where that has occurred, listen, in that moment when you put your faith in Christ, God declared you justified. And so when you stand in the presence of God, when you die and stand in the presence of God, you stand as one who is forgiven and redeemed and who is accepted in the beloved in Christ. 
So that is what justification is all about, is that he justifies us. He declares us righteous. So election, regeneration, justification, sanctification, sanctification. This is the process of of us becoming holy, more set apart to God, more like Jesus. All right, sanctification. This is just us growing in our faith. This is a process that, that starts the moment that we call on his name until the moment we fully enter into his presence, that we are growing in sanctification. All right, this is, this is different than those other, uh, than, you know, election and regeneration and justification. That is God's work, right? But sanctification is where God works in us, but we also get to work. Right? We, we are actively pursuing God and we are actively pursuing godliness in our life. It is not something that God just does. It's something he works, but we work in cooperation with him by his spirit in us, sanctification. This is, this is why we every single week promote our Bible reading plan with no apologies for that. Because this is God's word, and as we dig into his word, and as we see who God is and who we are in light of that, man, we grow in our faith. We learn how to uh, function and live a life that glorifies God. And so we pursue uh, God. This is why we endorse this Bible reading plan. This is why, uh, I'll even say it again, if you haven't joined us in reading, um, I, man, I would highly encourage you to do it. I will give you a heads up. This is a really rough place to jump in the middle of a reading plan because we're going through Leviticus. Uh, so it's pretty, it is rough, all right? It's, it's difficult. Um, but yet this is the way that we grow is by digging in this life and this process of, of sanctification. God works and we work along with him. Philippians 2, verse number 12, Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He says, work out your salvation. Don't work for it, all right? We're not saying that. Don't, you don't have to work and do good works in order for God to save you and accept you. He says, no, no, now that you have it, work out your salvation. In other words, this is a workout that requires serious attention and time and effort to become more like Christ. You don't just coast into godliness. You don't drift into godliness. It is something that you work at. You work with God in this. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He, he's not saying like we ought to have this debilitating sense of anxiety about our salvation. No, he says like, work it out. This, this is a serious endeavor. This is not light stuff. You have to work in your sanctification to become more like Christ. And so again, this will continue as long as we live. So election, regeneration, justification, sanctification. Fifth and final one, glorification. Glorification. Glorification is the future hope for all the redeemed people of God. It is, this is the completion of our salvation. This is when our faith will be made sight. We will be in the presence of God forever. We will have glorified, perfect, immortal, resurrected bodies. There will be no more pain. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more death. We will be fully and finally free of the, listen, the very presence of sin. No more anger. No more lust, no more greed, no more envy. Man, the very presence of sin will be eradicated by the presence of God. 
this is glorification. And because Jesus was resurrected, because he was the first fruits, the Bible says he went first, we too shall be raised to eternal life. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 through 24, Paul says, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. Drop down to 49. I love this verse. This is one that I just kind of read over most of the time. It says this, Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, right? We all come from Adam, from the dust. He says, We also shall bear the image of the man of heaven. Who is that? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. This is the end, the completion of our salvation, that, that we will be like him. This is glorification. And so let me summarize this. And if you hear nothing else, I know some of this may feel like it's gone over your head. Man, I hope you hear this last thing. We could, we could summarize this uh, as much in the same way that we classified the work of Christ, past, present, future. Our salvation is past, present, future. I want you to just, just hear this. Here it is. We have been saved from the penalty of sin, past, right? Because of election and regeneration, justification. We have been saved from the penalty of sin. What is the penalty of our sin? It's wrath, it's judgment, it's death, separation from God. We have, if you've put your faith in Christ, we, we have been saved from the penalty of sin. Here's the present. We are being saved from the power of sin. So whatever sin that you struggle with, you wrestle with, I mentioned multiple things, anger, lust, greed, all those things, right? Those things that have a hold on us. But the Bible tells us that once we put our faith in Christ, once the Holy Spirit enters into us, those things don't have power over us anymore. And so as we are being sanctified through our life, we are being saved from the very power of sin. Future we will be saved from the very presence of sin. Amen? We will be saved from the presence of sin. That is the completion of our salvation. And so let me just wrap up briefly by talking about heart and hands. How do we live in light of this? I just want to read a quote from John Nielsen. A very simple quote. He says this, The right response to all of this is a heart filled with repentance for our sin, in faith in Jesus Christ as the only true Savior of sinners. Repentance is, is just turning from our sin. Faith is turning towards Christ. Maybe, you know, at this morning you're hearing all kinds of stuff and all kinds of big words and, and big ideas. Uh, man, let me boil it down to this. Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ? Maybe you've never repented of your sins. Maybe you've never turned from your own way to Christ. Man, the invitation is open to you. Maybe God is even in the midst of all of this drawing you and he's doing a work of regeneration in your heart. The invitation is that you would repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus. But you know what? If you have done that... Maybe if you have put your faith in Christ, I just want to make sure you're always aware of this, that repentance and faith is not only the way in to the Christian life, it is the way forward. That we are to be people who live in constant, daily even, repentance 
and faith. This is something we work at, our sanctification, that we work in cooperation with God in our life to repent of our sin as we see it and to continue to place our faith in Christ. And so this morning, I just want to end by reading some encouraging statements for you. I want to encourage you to actually, let me just ask you to stand with me. I want to read a series of statements that speak to all that Christ has accomplished for us in our salvation. If you are in Christ, these things are true of of you. In Christ, you are forgiven. In Christ, you are saved. In Christ, you are justified. In Christ, you are reconciled. In Christ, you are loved. In Christ, you are adopted. In Christ, you are cleansed. In Christ, you are healed. In Christ, you are redeemed. In Christ, you are free. In Christ, you are rescued. In Christ, you are triumphant. In Christ, you have hope. In Christ, you have an inheritance. In Christ, you have peace. In Christ, you have rest. Amen. And Lord Jesus, thank you for the salvation that is available to us in Christ. God, I know these are heavy things that we have talked about today, things that we could never fully grasp with our finite minds and understanding. Yet, God, what we know from your word is that you desire our repentance and faith. You desire to save us from our sins. God, you have done all the work to make that possible. And so, Lord, I pray for those that are in this room that that maybe have, I don't know, a general understanding of, of all of this. Maybe they've heard some of these things. Maybe they didn't maybe even know it to be true, but God, I've never repented of their sin and placed their faith in you. Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they would submit themselves fully to you. God, that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, I pray for all of us that we would be a people of repentance and faith, that we would continue to see ourselves as those who are, who are forgiven and justified redeemed. God, all the work that you have done for us on our behalf. God, we thank you for the salvation that is available to us in Christ. Lord, I pray that we would um, continually be set free and saved from the power of sin in our life. I pray that you would uh, help us to look so forward to the hope that we have of one day being fully and finally saved and freed from the very presence of sin. God, I pray for those who are in this room that you are calling to yourself that still yet need to be saved from the penalty of sin. God, would you draw them to yourself? Would you do something that only you can do and work in hearts? God, we love you. We rejoice that you uh, have given your life for us so that we could be set free. We love you and we worship you for all of these things. In Christ's name we pray.